Good morning, church. If you will, go ahead and open up your Bibles. Um, No, no, no. I always try to be sensitive to how God's leading, where God's leading, and what God's leading. And sometimes it's not always, sometimes it's not always that easy, especially with all the noise that's going on around us, with all the chaos of this week. Um, sometimes it's hard to know where to go. And I don't know why this scripture was just impressed upon me. And this ain't going to be on the board. You're going to have to listen to me. But in Isaiah 56, we see, we see an imagery of a church to come. We see an imagery of a people being grafted in to God's family. And in Isaiah 56, uh, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. This says the Lord, preserve justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this, and the sons of men who take hold of it, who keep from, the, keep from profaning the Sabbath, and keep his hands from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the Enoch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the Enochs who keep my Sabbath and choose what, and choose what pleases me, I hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also, the foreigners, let's talk about us, guys, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. And my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others, I will gather them too, to those already gathered. God had a vision, not a vision. God had a desire, a desire for his house to always be called a house of prayer, a house of foreigners, a house of people who don't belong. A house of people who are coming together, united under one thing, 
And that's why we're here this morning. We're coming together united under God and God alone. And I don't know about y'all, but this week I've had to do a lot of wrestling. I've had to do a lot of wrestling with the news that was released about the SBC on Sunday. I've had to do a lot of wrestling with the horrible, terrifying thing that we saw take place earlier this week. I've had to do a lot of wrestling with people being in the hospital. And while I'm sitting there and I'm listening to that song, it's just as if I was here and the only place that you have to turn is me. So this morning, let's be a house of prayer. This isn't what I planned. We'll go, we'll go on. But this morning, I want to ask all of you, anybody who will, let's lift our hearts up to God in true prayer. Prayer for our churches. Prayer for these parents who've lost loved ones. Prayer for the many that we have in the hospital right now. If you will, Come join me. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, as a people who don't belong, but a group of people who by the shed blood of Jesus Christ have been brought into your family. And this morning, Lord, you are the only place we have to turn. We come boldly before you this morning, Lord, asking on the behalf of many people for you to do what only you can do in the minds and hearts of men, women, and children. Father, this morning we pray for your church. We ask for repentance, Lord, of how we have neglected to hold to truth and how we have, in some way, called what is evil good. Sometimes I think we forget, Lord, that even us being silent is still accepting what's going on. So, Father, I come before you, Lord, repentant, heartbroken for the wicked people that we are. Father, I come before you, asking you boldly, to be with the moms and dads and grandmas, aunts and uncles, whose children were taken from this world. 
I come asking you, Lord, to be with our leaders. Because, Lord, there is nothing that we can do to stop evil. But your gospel, Lord, can change the hearts and minds of men and women. And that is what you have commanded us to be doing. Presenting your gospel. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to be obedient to that. The gospel is needed in this situation because the gospel brings comfort, Lord. Comfort to know that this world is not the end. The gospel brings restoration. It brings men and women back together who are divided by such foolish things. But Father, the gospel reunites us with you. And that is what we truly need. We need to be reunited with you. We are a foreign people who don't belong. You've grafted us in and we come back to you, Lord, with hearts wide open, asking you to do what only you can do. Father, we come before you this morning asking you to be with June and Ricky and so many others who are sick and in the hospital. So many people, Lord, even that lady yesterday that I met who's worried about her husband dying absent from you. I pray, God, I don't understand your ways, but I know that you can do things far above anything that I can. And I just pray, God, that you would move in these people's lives, that you would bring healing to June, that you would be with the surgeons, Lord, as they get ready to take Ricky into surgery, that you would be with this wife, Lord, whose heart is broken for her husband's absence from you. We ask, God, that you do what only you can do. We're helpless. We're in desperate need of you. And this morning, Lord, we come acknowledging our faults, our failures, everything that we are. And we're thankful, God, for the forgiveness that you've given us. Father, this is a house of prayer. This is a place where many people come together to intercede on behalf of others. And the group, Lord, that I feel so strongly to intercede on behalf of right now, Lord, is those who do not know you. Father, if we truly believe that there is a hell, if we truly believe that the gospel is the answer to that, I pray that you would put an urgency in our heart to be adamant, God, about presenting your gospel on a daily basis. Father, we can't fix people. We'll never be able to fix people. But you can. You can mend the hearts. You can mend the minds. You take all the broken pieces, Lord, and you bring them back together. And you bring them back even more beautiful than what they were before. So, Father, we pray for all who are far from you that they also would be grafted into this family that we've so graciously been grafted in. Father, again, my heart can't get over the fact that I don't belong. But you love me so much that you sent your son to die for me. And because of my faith and belief in him, God, we're here. This morning, Lord, we do worship you through our songs. This morning, we do worship you through our prayers. And this morning, Lord, we worship you in spirit and truth because you are God. We need you. And Father, you are the only place that we can turn. Do what only you can do, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
If we're going to be a house of prayer, we're going to have to get some Kleenexes in this place. <laughs> oh, praise Jesus. Y'all excuse me. Ain't nobody want to hear that. <laughs> Three things that we try to focus on in our time of worship. We try to th- focus on worship to God through our praise, through our song. And this is something, um, this is something that is something that all of us should do. I know some of you say, well, I can't sing. I can't either. <laughs> it don't matter. It don't matter about what it sounds like. It matters about what your heart is crying We try to go before God boldly in prayer, but we also unapologetically go before the Lord through His Word. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a lot about God's direction for His church. And today, I'm here to give you the good news. After today, you won't have to do these hand signs no more, but you are going to do them One last time. But before we do that, I want you to read with me Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 together. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. They saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. God is giving a specific direction that he has for his church. And this direction is so simple, a child can remember it. The direction that God has for his church is simply up, out, in. And while we are going up, out, and in, we are to be concentrating on two things. We are to be constantly reaching as we go up, out, and in, but we are constantly to be serving as we go up, out, and in. This week, we're going to do two We're going to talk about focusing in. The reason that we're going to talk about two today is because, I'm going to be honest with you, we're good at focusing in. Inwardly focus is something that we all know is something God desires for us. God did not desire for us to be alone. He desired for us to constantly live in community. And as we wrap up this study on God's direction through His great commission, We're going to focus, we're going to talk about what it means to be inward. Most of you already know this, but all of us need to be reminded. You know, many will say that I do not have to go to church to be saved. And to that, I would have to say, you are 100% absolutely correct. You do not have to go to a church to be saved. You can be saved in your bathroom. You can be saved in your car. 
You can be saved anywhere you are in the world as long as you come to an understanding that Jesus died for, a sin, for sins that you never could pay the debt for. You don't have to go to church to get saved. But church is necessary. Church is extremely necessary. And a lot of people miss this last point of Matthew 28 in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. God has designed his church to be a community of people who are constantly pouring into each other, loving each other, and equipping each other for his mission. But you know what I've learned over the years? Community's hard. Amen. Community is extremely hard. Because a community is made up of many different people. And many different people will bring in many different views many different opinions, and many different methods. And in a true community of believers, it's just as difficult. Matter of fact, I think it's even more difficult to live into a community of believers because you still have people with many views, many opinions, and many methods. But you are trying the pastor does do his due diligence to try to bring everybody under one king, one savior, and one Lord. And this is where it gets hard. This is where it gets extremely hard because a lot of us look at ourselves as our own master. We look at ourselves as our own ruler. We look at ourselves and we make the decisions for our life. But God has made decisions for your life as well. Jesus instructed his disciples to teach these new disciples. After they had identified with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to observe all that he had commanded. Observed is not what we think it is. It's not simply teaching information. If it was teaching information, I'm just going to tell you, we would be great at it. We are absolutely phenomenal at teaching information. But observance is actually something completely different. Observance is an action of practicing or fulfilling, respecting requirements or laws or morality or rituals. It is getting people to actually do these things. Now, before I say this, I don't want you to think that we're trying to manipulate behavior. Because that's not what we're trying to do. We're not into behavioral modification. We're into gospel transformation, which takes place from the inside. But the thing is, for this gospel, uh, for this gospel transformation to really have its full root in us, we have to have each other. We have to have people like Jerry Carnes, who's been in 50 years for ministry, of ministry. I've got to have other people in my life, like Fred Lodge, another minister that I think highly of, former pastor of First Baptist. I think about Jeff Oliver, pastor at um, House of Prayer over on Pat Caldwell. I think of many different pastors. Justin Jarrett, he's younger than me. A lot of people think that he's my son. He is not my son. 
If he was, I would beat him. (laughs) But I need these men. I need these men because I constantly need to be poured into. And we constantly need to be poured into as believers. Yes, we get this from the Holy Spirit. Yes, we get this from Jesus. But when Jesus established his church, it was his full intentions that we would pour in to each other. You may be able to be saved absent from a church, but you will never grow absent from a church. Why? Because this is the way that God designed it. I didn't write this. I just preach it. And I do my best to hold to it. But it gets hard. It gets hard. Discipleship is hard and it's often overlooked. Because when you start leading people to live a life that doesn't line up with their views, their opinions, (laughs) their methods... Things get difficult extremely quick. And this is why. This is why so many people leave the church. But see, what they forget is what was said at the very beginning of this scripture. All authority has been given to who? To Jesus. That means authority over us as well. See, the thing about Jesus is he doesn't have a view. Jesus has a way, and it is the only way. Jesus doesn't have an opinion. You ever thought about that? Jesus doesn't have an opinion. He has truth, and his truth is the only truth. Jesus doesn't have a method. He has a life, and this life is the real life, and everything absent from this life is death. And this is what makes it so hard when discipleship starts taking place. It's hard discipling others because you're constantly going up against views, opinions, and methods. And this is why many back away from discipleship altogether. And I'm not just talking about the people who are being discipled. I'm also talking about the people who do disciple. But God has created us to live in a community, a community of believers, to pour into each other, to disciple each other, to love each other, to encourage each other. And I'm going to be honest with you. If it wasn't for this church, if it wasn't for those pastors who continually pour into me, I probably wouldn't be here today. I probably wouldn't be standing before you today. I would be off at the lake. I would be off celebrating the beginning of summer. I would be living in my sin. And that's why I need you. That's why you need each other. And that's why we are really here. If there was one scripture that could define discipleship the best, I think it would come from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. And this proverb says, iron sharpens iron, so 
one man sharpens another. We've heard this verse multiple times. We've heard it many times. We've seen it on coffee cups. We've seen it on bumper stickers. We've seen it all over. But have we ever really thought about the process of iron sharpening iron? Because when you look at it for what's really taking place and what's really happening, it's not really that pleasant of an experience. I used to love watching this show called Forged in Fire. We got rid of cable. Now we only have YouTube TV. I can't watch the History Channel, and I am so mad it's not even funny. But I loved watching these guys in Forged by Fire. They would have three guys who would come out, or four guys, five guys, I can't even remember. It's been so long. But they would come out, and they would all be given a hunk of steel. And they were to take this hunk of steel, and they were to fashion this useless piece of steel into a useful tool a useful knife, a useful cutting weapon. And you just sit there and you watched all of these things taking place. You would watch the friction. You would watch the heat. You would watch the sparks. And you would watch all this reshaping taking place. And what used to be just an old, useless hunk of steel is turned into a beautiful, useful work of art. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you know this, but you're God's masterpiece. And while a lot of days you feel like nothing but a useless hunk of steel, you are a beautiful, useful work of art. But for us to get where we need to be, we need each other. This scripture from Proverbs gives us a great insight to what discipleship looks like. Iron, rubber, and iron. It causes four things that I've already mentioned. It causes friction, it causes heat, and it causes sparks, and it causes reshaping. And these aren't pleasant things, but I want us to think about these things for a minute. You ever rub two sticks together? When I was a kid, I was a, I was a pyromaniac. <laughs> I really was. I loved fire. I think I almost caught the house on fire a couple of times. Mom's sitting back there just thinking about all the times that she almost had to cash in insurance, but I loved fire. And I remember the first day that I tried to make fire with two sticks. How many of y'all tried to do it? Be honest. Did, was anybody successful? And I'm just talking about with two sticks. I'm not talking about making a bow drill. I'm not talking about making a hand drill. I'm talking about just with two sticks rubbing them together. Was anybody successful? No, you weren't successful at all. But there were a couple of things that happened when you were rubbing these two sticks together. And the first thing that happened was friction. Friction. Rubbing against each other. And what the Proverbs is saying here is when two pieces of steel rub against each other, there is automatic friction. When Christ rubs against us in our life, there is automatic friction. Friction. And the friction is there not because of just being rubbed against. It's because God has a spiritual view and we have a materialistic view. And these two things, they don't go together. When they rub together, people get offended. People get hurt. People get angry. People get mad. And people leave the church. There's been many times in my life that I've almost left 
And I'm going to be honest with each and every one of you. The reason I left was not because of how the church treated me. When I was living thick in sin, hair halfway down my back, coming in from the night's party, this church did nothing but embrace me, love me, and encourage me. But every time I almost left the church was not because of the people here. It was because of the friction between me and God. Because his spiritual view and my materialistic view don't exactly line up. I have a way that I think things should be. I have a view on how I think things should be. And when anything goes against this, it causes me to want to run. But it also causes something else to happen. It causes the next thing to happen. When constant rubbing is taking place and the rubbing of the truth is taking place, it causes things to heat up and to heat up fast. This is why there are so many fights in Baptist churches. When friction, when a bunch of people get together, rubbing against each other, things heat up. And things heat up fast. And before you know it, when things get hot, I don't know about you, but when things get hot, I get out of control. I get extremely out of control. And the reason I get out of control is simply because I don't like heat. I'm sweating right now. We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. Did y'all know that there was a time that we would not sweat? There was a time that we would not sweat. Before they tuck of that fruit, whatever it was, we wouldn't sweat. Man, me and Adam's going to have it out when we get to heaven. (laughs) But I don't like heat. I don't like heat because the heat is also what we call conviction. And this is why people get angry. This is why people leave because conviction takes place. And this conviction takes place because of the rubbing of truth. And you know, here's the thing. I have never got mad at anybody for presenting truth to me from his word. But I can tell you this. I've got mad at this many a days. I've got so angry at this so many days. Because this is a mirror. And this mirror shows me how ugly I am. This mirror shows me how much I need God. And you know, sometimes other people have got to remind me of that as well. So we got the friction. We got the heat. And next comes the most exciting part. This is what I loved in Forged in Fire. You'd sit there and you'd watch these metals heat up. You would watch all these things take place. And then you'd start seeing these sparks fly. I love fireworks. Man, I'm telling you, I'm fire. But I love fireworks. I love watching sparks fly. But do you know why sparks fly from metal? Do you know? Sparks fly from metal because of pieces of metal being removed at a very rapid speed. That's why you can take a piece of steel against a flint stone, rake it across the flint stone, 
And once that piece of metal separates from the big hunk of metal, it instantly turns into a spark. You never knew metal was flammable, did you? But these sparks are often useless, deformed particles of metal. They're useless, deformed particles of metal that if were to be left in the metal would cause the metal to break and be useless. When truth rubs against us and conviction comes in, sin sparks off of us. This is needed in our lives. This is needed in our lives. We need this in our lives because our sin is what keeps us from grabbing hold of not only who God really is, but what is possible through us, through Him. This sin that we hang on to, and and guys, don't get me wrong. You may not have massive sins as we consider some sins to be major, but sin is sin. And it doesn't matter if it's a lie or murder. The sentence for sin is hell. And nobody escapes it. But when this sin starts coming off of us, when these sparks start flying, that's when that piece of metal starts to become pure, starts to become refined. And that brings us into the last state of this. It's then we're able to be reshaped. Reshaped into the image that God had originally created us to be. Brothers and sisters, God didn't create us as an old, rusty hunk of steel that is, useless for no, that is useful for nothing. He created us as His masterpiece. He created us for his purpose, for his glory, and for his usefulness. And when Jesus is telling his disciples to teach them everything that I have commanded you to observe, what he's saying is, it's time to get sharp. And when you do this, things are going to heat up. And when things heat up, sparks are going to fly. Pieces of metal are going to fly off. But once you get them to that point, they can be reshaped by the Holy Spirit to be that beautiful, useful instrument again. This is God's design for His church. This is how He designed us to disciple one another. It's not an easy process. And I am thankful that many of you have grasped the hold of being a part of a small group. If you're not a part of a small group, let me tell you something. This is where friction happens. This is where heat happens. This is where sparks happen. This is where reshaping happens. We've never had a gun pulled in a small group that I know of. Not going to promise it won't happen. Because when people's lives are rubbed Differently from how they go, tempers get angry. People get mad. People fly off the handle. But I want you to know this. 
they're not flying off the handle at you. They're flying off the handle at what this says about them. This is a process that can't be done alone. You can't take a single stick or a single hunk of steel by itself and make friction. This is a process that needs two equal pieces to be reshaped, to be molded, to be brought into what we consider mature believers, what we consider to be people who make disciples that make disciples. And this process has been given to us as God's direction for us to encourage each other, to challenge each other, and to move each other forward. This process of iron sharpening iron is why many don't stick around very long. But this process is very much needed in the life of a true disciple. We've got to learn to battle. We've got to learn to battle the desires that are in us when things get mad, when people get mad. Because when people get mad, our reaction is to retaliate. Our reaction is to get equally mad. But understand this, brothers. Understand this, sisters. When we disciple people, there's going to be friction. There's going to be heat. There's going to be sparks. But all these things have to take place before there can be any reshaping. This process is what Jesus was calling his disciples to when he is commanding them to teach them to observe all that I have commanded. So what does this look like for Harmony Grove? Two things. In reaching in, we commit to fellowship with HGBC. Now this is just for us, guys. This is just for us. And you're going to be seeing these a lot here before long. We commit to fellowship with HGBC through times of prayer, through times of study, encouragement, breaking of bread, and doing life together. And in Acts 2, some of you have already been reading this in your small group, but in Acts 2, 42 through 47, I want you to look at this beautiful illustration of what took place after those some 3,000 believers come to know Christ. It says then that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They weren't Baptists yet. And they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all. And anyone, might ha- and anyone who might need, have need, day by day, continuing in one mind, in the temple, People will often say, let me just hold on. People will often say that church was never God's design. Huh, really? Then why did they continue in the temple? Some will say, well, it's because that's the way they were brought up. No, they were in the temple continually preaching Jesus to those who had not believed yet. Assembling has always been in God's plan. 
and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now we see this beautiful illustration of what's going on in God's church. And I think it's funny that we see this beautiful illustration and we think that there was no friction. I think it's hilarious that we think that there was no problems in this church. Because you can read on, just a few chapters later, you start seeing a skirmish, a disagreement between Paul and Peter. Huh. Who would have ever thought two of the apostles would have a disagreement? Two of the apostles who were both called by Jesus would have a disagreement. Then later on, you hear about this guy who was a constant encourager to Paul. His name was Barnabas. And there come a point in time where even Paul and Barnabas had a little bit of friction. See, we always look at these good parts of the scripture and we never ever consider that there was friction going on in the church. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you what's gonna happen. Where one or more are gathered for anything, there's going to be at least five opinions. There's going to be at least five opinions, two arguments, and possibly a punch thrown. When you get different people together working towards one goal that is not a goal of their own, I promise you this, you'll always have friction. But not only do we commit to one another, to reaching in, to continually reaching in. You've got to understand, you have a part in this as well. We always want to be reaching in. We always want to be together. And I'm not just talking about together here at the church. I'm talking about together in your home. Sunday evening, I love it more than anything. Our small group meets in our home. Jennifer always cooks a meal. And some of you small groups are going to get a little bit jealous about this. But our small group never lasts any time shorter than about three hours. Am I wrong? Now, there's a lot of talking going on. There is a lot of humor going on. But I want to tell you something. Those brothers and sisters who take time to pray for me, who take time to encourage me, who are bold enough to correct me when I need to be corrected, and that happens often, they're growing me. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that I still don't have growing to do. And we've constantly got to be reaching in. But we've also constantly got to be serving. In serving in, we commit our gifts and our talents and resources to serving HGBC for the building up of the body and raising up the generations to come. Tommy, who'd you hear about Jesus from? The Word, but who, where else? Many people. Many people. What about you, Easton? Who'd you hear about Jesus from? Okay. What about you, Diane? Where'd you hear about Jesus from? What about you, Kenny? Where'd you hear about Jesus from? 
Where'd you hear about Jesus from? You good, you good. Here's the point. Without other people, yes, the Bible told us about Jesus, but without other people pouring into us, we would not have come to that point of understanding who Jesus was. But even then, once we come to that point of understanding who Jesus was, we've all got to realize that just because we're saved doesn't mean we know everything. Man, wisdom doesn't come with salvation. Wisdom is something that is obtained. It's obtained over a period of time. It's called sanctification. And you know what? There's no beginning or no stopping point when it comes to sanctification. As long as you're here on this earth, you're continually being sanctified. And you know what? You can't be sanctified at your house by yourself. You say, well, I can, I can watch something on TV. Is somebody preaching? Well, yeah. Then you're being sanctified by somebody else. Well, what about the Word of God? Have you ever thought about how many people have put an effort into getting the copy of this Word for us to have? Again, we're being sanctified by other people's work and drafting this into our language. We need each other. But here's something else you need to realize. There's others who need you. There's others who need you. There's generations to come that need you to pour into their lives, to be willing to be friction that brings about heat, that knocks off sparks so that they can be reshaped. Ephesians 4 gives us a great illustration of this. And it says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ until we attain the, <clears throat> to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of, his son, of, uh, of the Son of God, to a mature man, to measure up, <clears throat> to measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to its proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Man, that's a loaded scripture. And I know some of you are automatically starting to think, well, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. So this isn't, this isn't applying to me. Let me go back to the last one. 
Every single body in this room is a teacher. If you come to church and you do no service to the other people, what are you teaching the generations to come? Lazy. It's all about you. Or I'm just here to be fed. Everybody in earshot of my voice, you are a teacher. Whether you realize it or not, you're teaching people by your actions every day. I was sitting there playing with the boys the other day and we had to take the training wheels off the bicycle. And it was the funniest thing because Colton is getting to this point where he repeats everything I say. But he's not repeating everything I say to me to aggravate me. He's repeating everything I say to his brother. And we're sitting there, we're taking off training wheels. And I say, Dalton, turn it the other way. Dalton, turn it the other way. I just, okay. Starts pulling off the nut, pulls off the washer. And I told Dalton, I said, hold these. Colton, Dalton, hold those. Then he starts putting on the washer, starts putting on the nut. He gets the wrench and he starts tightening them up again. And I said, Dalton, push down as hard as you can. Push down, Bubby, push down. It's cute. It's humorous. But I'm constantly reminded they're watching me. And what scares me the most is they're not just watching me when I'm trying to help them learn to do something. They're watching me when I'm ugly. They're watching me when I have a bad day. They're watching me when my anger and my self-control are slim. They're watching the things that I say and they're repeating them. And without me even realizing it, I'm teaching them. But you're teaching them too. Because they're not just watching me. They're watching you. They're watching Tommy get up and lead him worship every Sunday. They're watching Easton come up here and be a part. They're watching Kari take time to pour into their lives. They're watching Hope at Sunday school, going into Sunday school. They're watching their mama. They're watching Brian. They're watching all of you. And you say, well, I'm not a teacher. I promise you this, you're teaching something. So what is it you're teaching? The church is God's design to edify people for his purpose for his glory, for his calling. It's not just something we do on Sunday. It's not just something we do on Wednesdays. The church is his vehicle that he chose to get the gospel out to every single nation, tribe, and tongue. It's not an organization, it's a family. 
It's not a perfect family. It's just as dysfunctional as yours is and as mine is. But at the same time, it is a blood family that was bought at the price of Jesus' Christ's blood that he shed for you and me. So let's stop looking at the church as something we do. Let's stop looking at the church as something that we're just waiting to fail. And let's start looking at it as the bride of Christ. And let's present this bride of Christ perfect, shameless, and honorable. Pray with me. Father, thankful for you, this church, your church. I'm thankful that this church loved on me in a time that I needed it the most, but deserved it the least. I'm thankful for a church who looked beyond what I looked like and saw the possibility of what you could do in me. But Father, I pray that that attitude and that heart doesn't stop with us. Your command is for us to go and make disciples. And Father, that means if we're making disciples, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to come into this place who are not going to look like us. They're not going to talk like us. They're not going to act like us. But that doesn't mean that we just throw them to the side. That means our work really begins of pouring into them, loving on them, encouraging them, equipping them, and teaching them. Father, this just isn't the job of pastors. This just isn't the job of the evangelists, the prophets, or the apostles. This is the job of the teachers as well. And I pray that you would help us to be mindful, Lord, that people are watching us. Father, my heart's broken by what people have seen of your church in the last many years. It breaks my heart that the media does everything they can to tear us apart. But I'm thankful, Lord, for your word that shows me the beauty of your called out people, of your ecclesia. Because, Father, the most beautiful thing about it is we don't belong here. You brought us in. And you brought us in for your glory and your purpose. Help us always, Lord, to be mindful that we have a purpose in your church as long as we have breath in our lungs. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. 
If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.